Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simcha. We are in class number 52. We have been specifically discussing the subject of pleasures. And as was mentioned, the ability for a person to be able to enjoy the physical world in the maximum possible way, they have to know the boundaries of the physical world only through a world that we live with boundaries can we expect to maximize our pleasure. A life without boundaries is a life without pleasure. They are all different types of boundaries. We have been going through some of them. Today, we're going to be discussing a continuation of last week. Last week, we, we spoke about shitika. We spoke about a person who has the capability and the wisdom to know when not to speak. We gave a few different examples of where that applies. Today I'd like to share with you another example of shitika. Like I say probably every week, this seems to be the most important thing that we could learn. It seems that way every time we learn something new and we realize, wow, I didn't realize how critical this is. Be warned that today's subject is going to be a very difficult subject. If you're the type of person who goes to classes and just learns and leaves and does nothing about it, you will have no problem. <laughs> but if you're the type of person that actually, when they learn something, they feel that they want to actually live with that information. So be warned that today's class is going to be quite difficult. The Gemara says in Masechet Yoma, discussing a pasuk in the Torah that says, Vayikra el Moshe, Hashem called Moshe Rabbeinu, Vaydaber Adonai Elav, and Hashem spoke to him. Meohel Moed, Lemor. Lemor is a word we find all the time. Vaydaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor. Hashem spoke to Moshe Lemor. Or Vayomer Adonai El Moshe Lemor. Hashem said to Moshe Lemor. What does the word Lemor mean? We say it all the time. When Hashem speaks to Moshe, what more is there to say than that God spoke to him? Why is there another word needed? So the Gemara says that from here we learn a halakha. From the word lemor, we learn a halakha that applies in our lives. The Gemara says from here we learn that if someone tells you something, then automatically you're not allowed 
to say that something to anybody else until the person tells you that you're allowed to say it. Hashem spoke to Moshe. Moshe is not allowed to share that information. Unless Hashem tells him, Lemor, so you could say it. Only because Hashem told him he could say it, is he now allowed to say it. If Hashem would not tell him Lemor, then he cannot repeat it. And the Gemara says, from here we learn that this is an obligation on every person. That one is not allowed to reveal information about somebody else's life. Whether they told you or whether you saw them. You know, in, uh, in our society, we have something called lawyer-client privilege. Which means that a lawyer is not allowed to share any information about their client with anybody else. Doctors have that as well with their patients. That's the world that we grow up in. Where keeping a secret, you either have to be a lawyer or you have to be a doctor. But everybody else seems like it's no problem. But in Judaism, the Torah expects us to have such privileges in every relationship. Every relationship that we have, there is an automatic privilege that I am not allowed to reveal the secret or the words that you told me. Whether you told me not to repeat or you didn't tell me not to repeat. The only time I can repeat is if you tell me that I can repeat or if it's self-understood. But otherwise a person is not allowed to give over secrets, information that other people tell them or things that they see. This is called in Hebrew, Gilui Sod, revealing the secret. Now this, this commandment, this boundary applies to everybody. And I could say for sure, you know, certain classes, you could say it's more relevant to the, to the regular people, we'll call them. Some classes are more relevant to maybe rabbis. This class is relevant to everybody. Because especially in the generation that we live in, we all struggle with this. Rabbis, laymen, talmideh hachamim, men, women, young, old, we're all under this umbrella called the world that we live in today. And this umbrella does not care whatsoever about these rules. The opposite. We live in a world where everything, it's a game. The more you can find out about other people's lives, and the more you have to share, the more respected you are, the more powerful you become. There's, a whole, there's an entire industry that their whole purpose or their whole success 
is how much they could find out about other people's lives so they can share it with as many people as possible. So we grow up in such a society, it becomes part of our being, that we don't even think there's anything wrong with it. We do this all day long. We find out that someone went somewhere, so we speak about it. We find out that someone is dating somebody. Everybody knows about it. Very often people are not even dating yet. Yet people are talking about it. If you heard something, automatically in our mind, it's normal to share it. Why would you not share it? It's great news. I shared a story on Shabbat, true story, that a person told me that they went on a first date knowing how people like to talk, that they would be already married after the first date. <laughs> so they decided they're going to go somewhere very far, that nobody, nobody will be able to see them. So they found, I don't know where, what, they found this place, and they're sitting there, and lo and behold, somebody from the community is there. Okay, that's bad enough. He says, but what made it a little bit worse is the guy took out his phone and took a picture. Okay? That's perfectly normal in our society. If you see it, you take a picture and you share it. There's nothing, I don't think for a moment that the person taking the picture thought that he was doing anything that was so bad. After all, that is the nature of the society that we live in. Maybe if he did it in front of the guy, it looks a little... But in reality, we do this all the time. I heard the word disgusting here now a little bit, a few times. We do it all day long. We're always talking about people. I'm embarrassed to say, I am involved just like you. We talk all day long. We heard something... We love to share it. And by the way, it doesn't make a difference if the person you're sharing it with is your spouse, it's your parents, it's your child, it doesn't make a difference, it's your rabbi. You're not allowed to share other people's information. That is called crossing a boundary. When we cross boundaries in the physical world, we are going to cause destruction. The Torah warns us, be careful, watch your mouth. Do not share things that other people are not supposed to know. The Gemara says, on this point, just to show you how relevant it is, the Gemara says that it applies to judges also. Imagine you have a judge, these are great people. The Gemara says the Torah warns them that when they are judging a case and they get out of their private meeting to go give the verdict, there are two people. One person is going to be guilty and one is not. One person is right, one person may be in the wrong. When they come out, they have to give a halakha and they have to say, okay, Reuven is guilty. Says the Gemara, that the judge is warned 
that he cannot go outside and tell Reuven, listen, the truth, I 100% agree with you. In my opinion, you were right. But what should I do? That I got overruled by the majority. What can I do? Basically, everybody that wants to do that, everyone wants to have their friends. You know, I'm really with you, but what can I do? The other people just wouldn't accept it. That's called crossing the boundary. Says the Torah, you're not allowed to speak that way. You cannot reveal what happened behind closed doors to the public. Again, in today's world, it almost seems there are no closed doors. Everybody knows what everybody's doing, what they're doing privately, what they're doing in their own lives that nobody should be knowing about. That's how it works. But the Torah tells us, even a judge, you got to be careful. The Gemara says, there was once a student who was in the yeshiva The Gemara says, in the yeshiva of Rav Ameh, there was a Bet Midrash, and the Gemara says, Rabbi Ameh threw him out. He threw him out of the yeshiva. What did he do? Imagine, someone gets thrown out of the yeshiva. What do you have to do to get thrown out of the yeshiva of Rav Ameh? Now, by the way, to be in his yeshiva, probably, you had to do a lot to be in there. What do you have to do to get thrown out? Says the Gemara, he threw him out because he revealed something that nobody knew after 22 years. That means 22 years later, not a day later, not a week later, 22 years after whatever happened, happened, he exposed it. Says Rabbi Ahmed, then this guy, this guy is an exposer of secrets. He doesn't belong in the yeshiva. He threw him out. Unbelievable thing. To be thrown out of the yeshiva, we would, I say, if that happened today, all the yeshivas would shut down. There wouldn't be a yeshiva if we had to live by such standards. But the reality is that everybody needs to know this, no matter who you are. That revealing secrets is a big no-no in the world that we live in. And by the way, even if it's bound to get out at some point, it's also not a reason to say. It says that the Malachim, who came to destroy Sedom, when they told Lot that they're going to destroy Sedom, the Midrash says, because they said that, they revealed the secret. And for that, they got punished. It says they 138 years, they had to be put away, whatever that means. But bottom line, what are they punished for? They're going to destroy Sedom that day. So what did they reveal at the end of the day? They told them it's going to get punished. The answer is that even if it's a minute or an hour or two hours, it's not supposed to be exposed. For example, here, the people of Sedom needed to, to get destroyed. That's fine. But to tell them more ahead of time, to give them more pain, maybe that's not part of the destruction. You're not allowed to say it. They opened their mouth too early. If we think about it, think about how much pain has been brought into the world because people talk when they shouldn't be talking. How many families have been destroyed because of needless talk? How many friendships have been destroyed 
because of revealing secrets. How many governments, how many countries have been brought down because people couldn't keep a secret? Wherever you find destruction, you will find people who open their mouth and are revealing things they shouldn't reveal. You might ask me, but this class is about pleasures. It's about my pleasures. Today we spoke about opening our mouths, but ultimately that hurts other people, which is not a good thing, obviously. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about our pleasures. So now you told me, great, when you say something that you're not supposed to say, when you reveal something you're not supposed to reveal, so you're going to hurt people. You're going to destroy their lives. And of course we would say that's terrible. But that's not the subject of this class. We're here to understand why crossing boundaries destroys our lives. What does that do with me? I understand destroying others, it's a very bad thing when I open my mouth. But how is it destroying me? So first of all, to answer that question simply, there's no such thing as destroying others without destroying yourself. It doesn't work like that in the world. In the world there's something called midah keneged midah. Midah keneged midah means whatever you dish out, you're going to get it back somehow. There's no such thing as causing destruction to people's lives and nothing happens to you. There is no question when you hurt others, it's just a matter of time that you're hurting yourself. So that's answer number one to the question. Answer number two, why it's relevant to us. Because we find in the Torah, the Torah is a book of guidance. It doesn't only tell us what happens, it tells us why it happens. So when you see in the Torah cause and effect, the Torah is teaching you something. The Torah is telling you, you know why that happened? Because that person did or did not do this. So let me share with you a beautiful midrash that I think we will all appreciate. It's a midrash about Rahel Imenu that we spoke about last week. It says Rahel Imenu, she was great in this midah of Shetika, as we explained last week. She kept quiet when she needed to. Says the midrash that because of that, she had some great lineage that followed her with the same characteristic. One example is Binyamin. Binyamin was the son of Rahel. Says the Midrash that Binyamin knew what the brothers did to Yosef, his brother, his full brother. But he did not say. He did not reveal that knowledge because it would be damaging to his brothers, obviously, and to his father, like we mentioned last week. So Binyamin did not open his mouth. He kept that secret forever never told his father about what his brothers did. Says the Midrash, this Binyamin, following Rahel's example, he got something very beautiful in his life. 
we may not appreciate it first when you hear it, but on the Kohen Gadol, he wore a plate that had stones on it. One of the precious stones is called Yashefeh. Yashefeh says the Midrash belongs to Binyamin. Each stone represented one of the tribes, one of the brothers. Yashfeh is the stone, some say it's an opal, a very expensive opal stone, that represented Binyamin. Says the Midrash, because of his mouth that he kept quiet, he was Zocheh to Yeshpeh. Yashfeh is Yeshpeh. He had a mouth. That stone was Binyamin. The Kohen Gadol needed that stone to do his avodah. Before I explain that, first of all, what does it mean that he, because he kept quiet, he got the stone that says Yeshpeh? Yeshpeh means you have a mouth. Maybe the stone should have been Enpeh, which means you have no mouth. What does that mean? You have a mouth. The opposite, he didn't talk. So why is it called he has a mouth? The answer is, when we say he had a mouth, means he had a mouth. Not that his mouth has him. You see, there are many people who are not in control of their mouths. Rather, their mouth mouth controls them. It's not that they have a mouth. The mouth has them because they have no control. So yesh peh means that Binyamin had control over his mouth. He would not say something unless he allowed it to leave his mouth. The Meshech Chochmah says that Binyamin, because of this, because he kept his mouth quiet, he honored his father by keeping the pain away from his father. That's why the Shekhinah, the Bet HaMikdash, is in his portion. Part of the Bet HaMikdash is in the portion of Binyamin. How was he zochet to that? Having the Bet HaMikdash in your home is a very big privilege that's eternal. Binyamin got that because of his mouth. You know the famous story, by the way? The famous story of Dama ben Netina. Dama ben Netina was a man, a goy, who it says in the Gemara that they lost one of the stones of the Kohen Gadol. The Yerushalmi says this stone was the stone of Yashveh. They lost that stone. And they needed to go find one. And they said, the only guy that would have it is the Dama ben Netina. And you know the famous story. They went to him. He, they made a deal with him. He went to get it. And then his father was sleeping. And he couldn't get the key. Or the, the box was blocked. Whatever it was. He could not. He would not wake up his father. He came back. Said, I'm sorry. I can't sell it to you now. They offered him 10 times the money. He would not sell it to them. And finally, in the end, when his father woke up, he gave it to them at the original price. They told him, no, we'll pay you what we promised you. He says, no, I'm not using my father as a way to make money. What I did for my father was for my father. I didn't do it for the money. And he took the first price, not the last price. The famous story of Kibud Abba'em from this Dama Ben Netina. Question is, how could it be that the Kohanim lost a precious stone of the Kohen Gadol. How did that happen? We know the Kohanim are Zerizim. 
the Kohanim are extra zealous. Many halachot that apply to regular people by Kohanim, Gemara says, no, they're zealous. We don't have to worry about them. They always do it right. How could it be they lost that stone? Some explain, because this happened during the second Bet HaMikdash. In the second Bet HaMikdash, we know the destruction happened because of Sinat Hinam, because people were talking about each other. So therefore, Hashem made it that there would be a stone lost to send them a message. Which stone was lost? The stone of Binyamin. Because he was the one that watched his mouth. Hashem was sending them a message. In this Bet HaMikdash, we cannot continue if Yesh Peh is missing. If you're not controlling your mouth, we are not going to have a Bet HaMikdash. And we lost it for that reason. That means, from this Midrash we see, that the greatness of Binyamin, his entire future, his children, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all benefited because of his mouth. I'll give you a greater example, perhaps, for us. I think we'll appreciate it more. It says, the same Midrash says, you know who else came from Rahel that had the same zikhut was Esther. Says the Midrash, that Esther was told, as we know, Mordechai told her, that she's not allowed to reveal her family roots or where she comes from, which nation she comes from. She cannot say. That's a pretty difficult thing if you're somebody's wife. Imagine she's the wife of Ahasuerosh. He asked her, so where's your family? I'm sorry, I can't say. Which nation do you come from? I can't tell you. The Midrash says that Ahasuerus, he promised her, he was frustrated, he promised her that whoever her relatives are, if she would just tell him, he would make them wealthy, he would make them royalty. But the Pasuk says, She would not say. That secret that Mordechai told her to keep, she did not expose it. Why? Because Mordechai told her, don't say. You know what those words mean? It means that in her mind, she thought, of course now I should say it. Now, they're going to make them wealthy. They're going to give them royalty. Now, of course they said not to. But if they would know about what's at stake, of course they would want me to say. But you know what? She said, Mordechai told me not to reveal it. I'm not going to reveal it. I'm not going to expose him. And by the way, good thing that she did. Because if Esther would have told Ahasuerus about her family, about Mordechai, about her being Jewish, the whole story of Purim would have taken a different turn. Because if you look at the Megillah, you will see the salvation of Esther, of the Jewish people, and her being the top was because Haman did not realize that Esther was part of the Jewish nation. He covered all his bases. He was all good. And he went to the Mishteh of Esther to tell the king. He was preparing the king. Excuse me. He was preparing the gallow to hang Mordechai. He was so confident 
going in that everything would be okay. Had he known who Esther was, he would have been much more careful in what he did and things would have turned out totally different. So think for one moment. The story of the Megillah and the Midrash is telling you that Esther, who doesn't know Esther? Esther the queen. Esther was the redeemer of the Jewish people. We have Megillat Esther, the whole story of Purim. Millions and millions of Jews celebrating the holiday of Purim because of Esther. Imagine what a zechut that is. You know, sometimes in life, we do one thing for somebody, we say, what a zechut. Wow, I got the merit to do one thing. Imagine doing this zechut. You know what that is to become Esther Malka. And all of that would not have happened had Esther exposed the secret that Mordechai told her not to expose. The message of the Megillah and the Midrash, whether it's Binyamin or Rahel or Esther and more, is that in our lives, here's the way it works. Hashem has certain greatness waiting for us, like Esther had, like Binyamin had. You know what would have happened if Binyamin would have exposed the secret of Yosef and his brothers? Now, at the time, he probably would have felt really good that he was able to tell his father something he didn't know. That feels good. When you give over somebody else's secrets or information that people don't know, you feel powerful. You feel useful. You feel that you're getting the respect People are listening to you. You feel like you are somebody. It's a great feeling for that moment. Imagine how Binyamin would have felt to tell his father about the mystery of his son Yosef. He would have been the man. He would have given him the information that he's waiting for. But Yosef declined. Excuse me. Binyamin declined. And guess what he got because of that? Something that was waiting for him. But only if he watched his mouth. Esther Malka had all that greatness waiting for her. But if she would have exposed the secret, she would lose it all. I say about me and you. Who knows how many salvations were waiting in our lives of things that we wanted, of things that we would definitely want, even if we didn't know about them. But they never happened because we lost that opportunity when we opened our mouth. It almost seems like Hashem tests us before He gives us a salvation. And one of those tests is, let me see if you can be a person who keeps secrets. This is all an introduction to something that I think we all must listen to and know very well. So far, we spoke about a halacha that we're not allowed to reveal secrets. We can't tell over things about other people. We saw how it destroys people's lives. We see how it also disturbs our lives. 
probably we wouldn't know that it did, but the Torah is telling us it does. There would be no Esther if she crossed the line. There would be no Binyamin or the Beta Migdash where he is if he crossed the line. That means when we don't cross lines, we should be awaiting for tremendous Beracha in the physical world, in this world. I think this is the most powerful part of this whole subject. The Midrash says, and I think most people know this Midrash, but they only know the beginning of the Midrash. The Midrash says that Am Yisrael in Egypt, they were redeemed because of a few merits that they had. Which means that even if Hashem will redeem a person or a nation, they still have to have merit. They have to do something. Hashem doesn't just do for you. He gives you, but you have to do something. So what is it that the Jewish people did in Egypt that they had the merit to have the exodus, Yetziat Mitzrayim? Says the, says the Midrash, three of them you know very well. One of is is they didn't change their names. They didn't change their language, which we'll discuss maybe next week. They <clears throat> didn't change, it says here. Where is it? Here. They didn't change their clothing. But this Midrash says there was a fourth item. They didn't reveal the secret. Which secret is the Midrash referring to? When Moshe Rabbeinu came for the first time to speak to the Jewish people as their savior, here's a man who is coming from nowhere, promising to take them out of Egypt, representing Hashem, he tells them that they're going to take them out. It's going to be a process. And then he tells them that you should know that before you leave Egypt, you're not going to leave empty-handed. Where are they going to get all the wealth of Egypt? How are they going to get it? So he told them, before you leave Egypt, you're going to borrow each person from their neighbor all the gold and silver and you will take them with you. That means you will leave Egypt with wealth. Well, they owe you for 200 years of back pay. You're going to take it with you. Because you're going to ask them for their items, and they're going to give it to you. The actual story happened 12 months later. I mean, to getting to, from, from Moshe's words, to that point was 12 months. Says the Midrash, they kept this secret. Millions of people at the time in Egypt knew about this and not one revealed it to the Mitzrim around them. If they did, then the Mitzrim would be careful. They would hide all their valuables. They would not have them out like the Kenanim did when the Jewish people left to Israel. Not one Jew, no matter what his mood was or who his neighbor was, revealed that secret. Says the Midrash, this was the cause why the Jewish people were redeemed. 
because they kept the secret that Moshe Rabbeinu told them 12 months. They didn't open their mouth. They did not say, they did not reveal. Question is why did Hashem do that? It seems like this was whole was a setup. Meaning, why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to tell them so far in advance about a detail that he could have told them much later? This was not necessary. It was not part of the story that was needed 12 months before. He could have told them, I'm Moshe, I'm coming to redeem you. And for that, for the borrowing part, tell them the day before. Why did Moshe tell them 12 months ahead? It seems that this was the setup. Meaning Hashem is telling the Jewish people, in other words, if you want to be redeemed, let me see how you do with this secret that I'm going to trust you. Let me see what the nation is going to do with my secret. Let me see if you're going to share it. Why was that an important part of leaving Mitzrayim? Again, the other three were natural things. They didn't change their clothing, their their language, their their <clears throat> their names. That those are happening over two hundred years. But this one, it was like a bomb that was planted. It wasn't necessary. Moshe Rabbeinu planted the bomb to see what they would do. Let me see what the Jewish people will do. It was like setting, you know, we have a rule in the Torah. You're not allowed to put a stumbling block in front of a blind person, for example. You're not allowed to make someone angry just to see if they'll get angry. You're trying to, you know, maybe uh, see if they're angry or not. So you set them up to see if they're angry. You can't do that. Because getting angry is a bad thing. You're setting them up for something bad. Here, the Jewish people are being set up to see if they will pass this test. It seems almost as a prerequisite to the redemption. Hashem says, if you keep the secret, you get redeemed. You don't keep the secret, you're going to have to wait. Why? Why is that such an important part of the redemption? Let me take you back a little bit before. When Moshe Rabbeinu was a young man, he grew up in the palace of Parah, as you know. And the Pasuk says that when he got older, he wanted to go and see how his brethren were doing. The Jewish people, he knew he was Jewish. He went out to see what's going on with them. And you know the famous stories the Torah gives. It says the first day he went out and he saw an Egyptian man hitting a Jewish man. So the Pasuk says that he looked around and he saw there's nobody around and he killed the Egyptian and he buried him right there and there. Nobody knows. Nobody found out. The next day, it says, he went out and he saw there were two Jewish men fighting with each other. He told them, Rasha, Lama ta'kerecha, why are you hitting your friend? So the man told him, the Jewish man answered him, Mi samecha, who put you in charge of our people? Hal horgeni ata'omer, are you threatening 
to kill me ka'asher harakta et hamitzri are you threatening to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian vayira Moshe and Moshe was scared the pasuk says vayomer and he said achen indeed noda hadavar the matter is known. Now, which matter is known? So simply, it means he thought that nobody saw. He thought nobody knew. When he saw this random Jewish guy telling him about what happened back then, the day before, he realized, oh no, people know about this. So he ran away. That's the simple meaning of the words. Achen noda hadavar. The matter is now known. Comes the Midrash and says, No. There's a much deeper, much deeper message here that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. Not, oh, people found out. Says the Midrash that Moshe Rabbeinu, for years, or I don't know, for years, doesn't say for years. For a while, he was thinking, he doesn't understand why the Jewish people were suffering with such back-breaking labor like they were doing in Egypt. He couldn't understand why they had to go through this. He says, but now, when I see Obviously, that Jewish man spoke. Whoever's life he saved must have told people, how does this man know? This question that has been bothering me, why the Jewish people are in Egypt suffering like this? And I couldn't figure it out. Now I know why. Now I understand why they have to suffer like this. If that's the way they speak and that's the way they reveal secrets, they put my life in danger, I understand why this is happening to them. Now when you read this Midrash and you don't know anything, so you take it for face value, sounds nice, but when you think a little deeper, it doesn't make any sense. The Jewish people, it says, in Egypt they reached the 49th level of Tum'ah. They were the low of the low. What does that mean? He couldn't understand why this was happening to them. He saw them. They were not behaving like Jewish people should behave. Only when he found this point, that they were not careful with their words, he says, I got it. I understand. It seems like Hashem would redeem you if you were in the lowest, lowest level of Tum'at, then you're worthy of redemption. I can't understand why He's not redeeming them. But if you're opening your mouth and talking about others, now I understand why the Jewish people cannot be redeemed. I get it. And we have to understand why. Again, one more time. I have a person who's on the lowest level 
their 49th level of Tum'ah. There's only 50. So you're right there. You reach 50, you're done. They were right by the edge. And Moshe Rabbeinu was scratching his head. Why these people can't be redeemed? When he hears that they're talking about him and they're revealing secrets, he says, oh, I got it. So now I know why they can't be redeemed. And now it makes sense, by the way, why when he came back years later, many years later, to redeem them, he planted the bomb. That same issue that made him understand years before why they were still not redeemed, now he wanted to see if they have figured it out, if they changed their direction, if they found a new way. He planted the same issue by telling them in advance about something they're not supposed to talk about. And that would determine if they will be redeemed or not. So let's review back again. Why is it that for the Jewish people to be redeemed, they need to keep secrets? What does that have to do with being redeemed? Shalomo HaMelech in Mishle talks about a person who reveals other people's secrets. He calls him Megale Sod. He's a person who exposes secrets. The Pasuk says, Holech Rachil, the one who gossips, Megale Sod. He reveals secrets. That's the beginning of the Pasuk. But like he does so often in Mishle, the second part of the Pasuk is the opposite of that guy. He compares. So the gossiper, he's always revealing secrets. Who's the opposite of the gossiper? Ve'ne'eman ruach. Someone who is ne'eman. Mechasedavar. Not only he doesn't reveal secrets, if he sees something, he tries to cover it up so nobody could know. So who's the opposite of Megalesod? Who's the opposite of the person who opens their mouth and talks about others? He's called a Ne'eman. You know the word Ne'eman means? The word Ne'eman has so many words in the English language to describe it. A Ne'eman is somebody who's trustworthy. A Ne'eman is someone who's faithful. A Ne'eman is someone reliable. A Ne'eman is someone who's loyal. All that and more defines the word Ne'eman. That's the word I'm going to use from now on. Ne'eman. Says Shalomo HaMelech, there are two types of people. There's a Ne'eman. A Ne'eman, you could trust them with anything. In fact, even if they see a hole, they'll come and help and fix it for you. Because they're trustworthy. They're loyal to you. And then there is the opposite of a Ne'eman. Who's the opposite of a Ne'eman? A person who talks about other people's lives. That means 
if you talk about others, you're not a ne'eman. And as we'll soon see, that's a terrible, terrible name to have, to be not a ne'eman. A person who's not ne'eman is not a trustworthy person. He's not a reliable person. He's not a loyal person. So when the Jewish people are going to be redeemed from Egypt, the one thing they need is to be ne'eman. That's all Hashem wants from them. Just be ne'eman. Okay, you're not the most righteous. Okay, you're not doing everything perfect. I got it. I could still redeem you. I could still help you. But if you're not a ne'eman, I can't help you. Why? One of the most critical things in our lives, in the physical world, that we need to reach simha, as been learning about simha, is emunah. Now the word emunah means that you have trust. It doesn't say in whom. The word emunah just means having trust. Now in this world, you need to live with emunah. Not only with Hashem. You have to be able to trust people. When you cross the street and people are stopped by a red light, there's a level of emunah that you have to have to cross the street. You have to have emunah when you're driving the streets. You have to have emunah when you get married. You have to have emunah when you're doing business. You have to have emunah in your rabbi. You have to have emunah in your children. You must have emunah to be able to survive and live this world successfully. There are people who don't have the ability to trust. They don't have emunah. You see, emunah is a midah. It's a part of the character and the fabric of a person. There are people who don't have the ability to trust. They can't trust. Someone tells them something, they're ready. They're hoshed, they're suspicious. They, people who don't trust can't be taught. A student who sits in school and doesn't trust cannot be taught. I mean, he might learn to pass a test, but he can't be taught. A child who doesn't trust their parents cannot be guided. They're missing trust. Emunah is not only emunah in Hashem. You need emunah in life. You have to be able to trust other people. Otherwise, you can't do business. You can't go to school. You can't be anything of value in this world if you don't trust others. Now, of course, when you trust someone, there has to be a reason to trust. You can't just trust everybody. That's obvious. They have to be trustworthy. But even if they're trustworthy, if you're lacking the midah of trust, you won't be able to rely on anyone for anything. You'll be living in a world by yourself because you can't trust anybody. You won't ask somebody's opinions 
because you don't trust. You know how many people today in the world, how many billions of people today in the world are suffering just because of this? How many people today are sick? And that could have been avoided if they would have trusted their parents. All they would have had to do is trust their parents. When their parents told them, that's not good for you. If they would have actually trusted their parents, they would have been so much better off. But they didn't. They didn't trust so many people along the way. How many people today, while they're sick, they still can't get help because they don't trust. They don't trust anybody. Emunah means to trust someone who's trustworthy. If you don't trust people, you're going to have a very hard time making it in life. You're going to grow up in a world by yourself. You're going to figure things out as the things happen to you. But then it'll be too late when you realize that, oh, that was a big mistake that I made 10 years ago. I wish I would have known better. Or you could have known better. Someone was telling you, but you weren't listening. You need trust to be able to go into a marriage. Who are you marrying? You need trust for that. Trusting people to tell you, yes, I think that's good for you. That makes sense for you. You know, you shouldn't do that. Trust me, you shouldn't do that. Again, not every person is trustworthy. But there is somebody called trustworthy. Even we're not perfect, but we can be trustworthy. If you don't have the midah of emunah, you are in trouble in this world. Now, you tack on that, emunah in Hashem, and then you're in real trouble. Because there's no way you're going to be able to live a life of tranquility, a life of simha, without having emunah in Hashem. There is no way. Because this world is very complicated. It's very scary. The unknowns are frightening. What could happen tomorrow? What could happen to my finances? What could happen to my health? What could happen to my family's health? What could happen to anything that I'm involved in? This world is so unpredictable. It is so scary. Even flying a plane, which is a pretty safe item, could be very scary without emunah. Listen, if the pilot is drunk that day, or his wife gave him some words that he's upset about and he's not feeling up to it, okay, you're dead. That's how it works. So it's pretty scary. You get on the airplane and whose hands are you in? You don't even know who the guy is. Who says? Now, if you don't live a life with emuna, you're going to drive yourself nuts because you're going to worry about everything. Because guess what? Everything is worry-worthy. Because anything could happen at any time to anyone. So it's scary. It's a very scary world. You can't leave your house. What's going to be? Is there going to be a world war? Maybe. It's scary out there. What's happening? Can I walk the streets carefully and safely? Not carefully enough. If there's some crazy man out there, I don't know what you're going to do to avoid him. I'm not sure. And much more that I don't need to sit here and tell you. The world is a scary place in every road, in every way, in every situation. Without emunah, that Hashem is watching over you, 
and he controls the world and he controls your life, you cannot live. It's impossible to live. And Munah says, you do your best. You live in the safest way possible. Don't cross the street when the cars are coming. But if you did your best, then it's not in anybody's hand, it's in his hands. And if he wants it to happen, it's because he thinks it's good for you. So therefore, not to worry. When we have emunah, it doesn't mean the plane won't crash. It doesn't mean that. It just means that in your, you're not in the pilot's hands. You're in his hands. And he runs it very well. He knows what he's doing. And he will never do anything unless it's needed and necessary. Ah, that's a good life. Emunah. Now, it's very hard for a person to live with emunah. It's easy to have emunah, but it's hard to live with emunah. Very big difference. Having emunah means, I get it. I got it. Intellectually, makes sense. At the end of the day, God created the world. I know that. I didn't make it. He runs the world. I know that. We can't do it. He's the energy of the world. He's, okay, so he's running the world. I get it. I got it. I heard every living emunah talk. I read all the books. I got it. I have all the emunah up here. That's easy. Not very easy, but it's easy. To have emunah in reality, like you live with the emunah, it's part of your life, like you never get nervous, ever. You never get worried, ever. You never become afraid, ever. You're never down. That is much more difficult and challenging, yes. You could have all the... You could write books on emuna, but you're missing emuna. You know why? Because emuna is a midah. It's a character of the person. For example, there are people that could write books on anger. How terrible it is. They can give you strategy how not to be angry. And they can be very angry people. Knowing about anger doesn't guarantee you a seat in calmness. You could write a book on humility and be extremely arrogant. Because the knowledge of humility and what it takes to get there, that's all intellectual. But it's a whole new world when you have to live with humility, or you have to live with patience, that's a whole new aspect of the person. So knowing about emuna, that's easy. Living it is complicated. And to live a life of simha, you have to have emuna. There is no other way. I don't have a better way. We're doing all the things we're in class 52, so there are more things. But ultimately, without emunah, the whole thing drops. It's like pulling the carpet from under you. There's nothing left. Because the world is too worrisome to be able to do anything that we're doing if you don't have emunah. But emunah is a midah. It's a characteristic of the person. I keep saying that for a reason. Emunah is not, not just, 
I know. Emuna is that it's a part of me. And emuna also doesn't mean that I know that Hashem exists. That's how we most of us were brought up. Emuna means you know there's Hashem. That's not what it means. I mean, that's the beginning of it. That's the elementary of it. Emuna means that you trust Him. Are you able to trust Hashem? Do you trust Him? Well, you have to have the midah of trust. If you don't have the midah of trust, the same way you don't trust your mother when she advises you, you don't trust your rabbi when he tells you. You don't trust many people in your lives, like the street. How many people do they trust? A hard time listening to something that they don't understand. They don't trust. Well, that means you're lacking trust. And if you're lacking trust, you won't be have you won't be able to have emuna in Hashem either. You can't trust Him either. And let me tell you a little something about being neeman and having emuna. The word neeman and emuna come from the same word. You see, if a person is neeman, means you are trustworthy. You are reliable. If you have that midah, you will be able to have the ability to trust others as well. When you are trustworthy, you can trust others. When you're ne'eman, you can have emuna. If you're not ne'eman, it means there's something very not real about you. The word emuna and ne'eman both have their root in the word emet. Means if you're not a person of emet, so then you can't have trust in emet that comes from others. You're not emet yourself. You yourself are not emet. How could you trust on somebody's emet? Again, you could say it. You could say, me, I, I'm, I don't keep my word, but I trust God. Those are words. But to actually live it, you want to live emuna, you have to be a ne'eman first. Without ne'eman, you can't have real emuna. It's the same midah. It's the same characteristic. You know, it says, when the Jewish people were by the Yamsuf, they crossed the Yamsuf, they all saw God's hand. Hazal tells us they all had nevuah, they saw Hashem. Over there it says, Vaya'aminu badonai, they trusted Hashem, and they trusted Moshe. What does that mean? They trusted Hashem. It means they trusted Hashem is there. Ah, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't trust Hashem is there? They saw Him. He spoke to them. No, it means that they trusted that He would do what He promised. That means all the time in Egypt, they still didn't develop that trust. Having emunah, trusting in Hashem, is a very hard thing. Saying, Hashem, I know you're running. I trust you fully. I trust you with all my heart. I don't have a doubt that you are going to do the best for me. I just have to do my best. But I know you're doing the best for me. And I know you all do the best. I fully trust that. They reached that level by Yamsuf. By Ya'aminu Bashem. And that's why it says, when Hashem told Abraham... Hashem told him, Abraham, go outside. 
go outside. I want you to count the stars. Hashem tells him, Im Tell me, Abraham, are you able to count them? Hashem tells him, Ko Your children will be like that. The question is like what? So some explain like that means, like see how many stars, you can't count them? That's how many your children will be. But others explain no. That he was telling Abraham, you see how you can't count stars? But you tried, didn't you? I told you to count them, you started. But you can't count them, but you started anyway. Your children will be like you. Your children will be able to accomplish things that no human ever thought possible. Your, human, your children, when they see the impossible, they will say, impossible? Nothing is impossible. We can do it. Am Yisrael for thousands of years has accomplished way beyond their capability. Way beyond what normal people would say is possible. How could a country of a few million stand around billions of enemies that only want its destruction? How does that happen? How does the achievements of Am Yisrael, how do they match the numbers, the small numbers of our nation? Hashem tells them, Ko echa, why your, your children will be few in number, but they will be very big, way beyond their numbers. What does the Pasuk say? What was the reaction of Abraham? Badonai. He trusted Hashem. Again, what does that mean? He trusted Hashem. He trusted that Hashem exists. Hashem is talking to him. What's the big deal? No, no. He trusted that Hashem will come through. This is real emuna. Real emuna is that you trust Hashem is going to do and is doing what's best for you. You do your best. That's your job. But after that, you have full trust. That's called living a life of tranquility. But guess what? You can never do it. You can never do it. Because you are not a Ne'eman. Remember you told yesterday your friend about your other friend? Remember you said that? You lost your ability to have Emunah Hashem. Every time you open your mouth, and you display your lack of trustworthiness and your lack of ne'emanut. So what you're doing, what I'm doing, is that we are destroying our midah of ne'eman. So how do you expect to have emunah? How do you expect to trust Hashem fully? You say, I don't get it. I'm reading all these books. I'm listening to all these classes. I could spit back all the information. I know it inside out. I believe it. But I'm still in pain. I, I, I still feel worried. I'm still troubled. I'm still having anxiety. I'm still afraid. I'm still, what's going on with me? How many books do I have to in Emunah before I become a person of Emunah? And today, you're lucky you came to this class. Because without realizing, the rug is being thrown from under you. You're going to all these classes, you're learning so many books, you're 
all over Emuna, and then somebody's just pulling the rug from under you. Because when you talk about other people, you lost your ability to trust. Because you're not trustworthy. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu knew this is the reason why they can't be redeemed. You know, perhaps the greatest quality of the Jewish nation, something that we stand proud for the last 4,000 years, more than anything else, is our emunah. What besides our emunah has kept our nation strong in the face of holocausts, in the face of pogroms, in the face of persecution. We're running literally every 50 years, 100 years, we're running from place to place. We're always finding ourselves on the other end of the stake. We're always outnumbered. We're always outpowered. We're always looking behind us to see who's chasing. This is a story that happens today. Today we celebrate Hanukkah today. Hanukkah is not a story that happened once in our history. Hanukkah is our it's our story for the last two thousand years. Masarta giborim beat halashim. We're usually the weakest. We're usually the least in number. What? if not our emuna has kept us together, has kept us strong, we're building, we're growing, we're doing, what What if not emuna has given us that strength? Running, constantly running, escaping, being chased, but yet strong. We're accomplishing. You know, there are books. If you would see these books, you would cry. There are books that we have in this library that were written by great people while they were in the Holocaust, in the concentration camps. They're writing books of Hidushim on Torah. Could you imagine that there are books, they're writing books on Torah thoughts sitting in the guest chambers? You know how many books how many great people lived in Halab? How many great rabbis? How many Sfarim they wrote? Where? What were they doing? They were persecuted. They had to hide their religion. They were not respected in the, in the authorities. But they found it. They had the emunah. All of the books that you see here, I bet you almost every book you see in the Jewish library, there was somebody who wrote that book that had to be either on the run, hide, had to do something not to be completely Jewish on the outside. Whether whether it was Rashi, or Tosafot, or the Rambam, or you name it. Which which great person in the last 2,000 years lived this tranquil life where everything was quiet and successful and very rarely... So what if not Emunah has held us strong and held us together? That is the story of the Jewish people. We are called Ma'aminim Bene Ma'aminim. They call us the ones 
who have emuna and the children of those who have emuna. Your grandfather and my grandfather had a lot of emuna. They may have been ignorant in Torah, but they had a lot of emuna. They got that emuna because of their father. The Jewish soul has emuna. Moshe Rabbeinu says, when Hashem redeems us and we become Am Yisrael, if we had every terrible thing in the book on us, we're worthy of redemption. <coughs> because we'll change. We will change. But if we are not Ne'eman, if the Jewish are not, people are not Ne'eman, so what sense is there of taking them out of Egypt? If they can't have Emunah, if Emunah is the crown of the Jewish people that will take them through their history, how will we redeem them if they're not capable of Emunah? That's why Moshe Rabbeinu says, Achen noda adavar. Now I know why they can't be redeemed. I get it. Because they're not trustworthy. So they can't trust God either. And therefore there's no reason to take them as a nation. And that's why when he came back, he said, well, we, we need to see if this was fixed. Ne'emanut is the key to emunah. Is it surprising to you that we find every morning when we pray Shahrit, we read Vaybarich David. In Vaybarich David, we say, Hashem, you are the ones who made the heavens. You made this, the oceans. You give life to everything in the world. You made the stars. And then we say, You Hashem, you chose Avraham, Avram, and you changed his name to Avraham. So our rabbis ask, one second, what's the connection of these two ideas? Hashem, you are the ones that made the world. You run the world. You're the power and energy of the world. And you also chose Avraham. What does one have to do with the other? So they give a beautiful mashal. A mashal of a melech, of a king, a very, very respected king. He came to visit one of his provinces. And he came out, and all the people, millions of people, are on the side cheering as the king by himself walks down the avenue, the main avenue of the street. And everyone's hailing to the king. Everyone is cheering to the king. And the king walks by in his majestic manner. All of a sudden, they see the king looks down on the floor. And he notices something. They can't see what it is. All of a sudden, the king gets on his knees on the floor and picks the, that something up. And he looks at it and he's assessing it and he takes it and he puts it in his pocket. And the whole place is going wild. What is that? What is it that the king would go on the floor on his knees, look at it and take it and put it in his pocket? What could that be? What could the king need that he's doing that? This is the explanation of Ibarach David. We start talking about how great Hashem is. 
He's the king of kings. He runs the world. He created the world. Yeah. And all of a sudden we see he came down to this world and he looked at all the people and he looked and looked and looked and he saw a man by the name of Abraham. He says, I want you. You're the guy. I want you. You're special. And everybody's sitting wondering, why is he so special? What did he see in Abraham that he didn't see in anybody else? What was it? Now, we would have given a lot of answers to this question. Why was Abraham chosen? His chesed, his care for humanity. He was a great teacher. He was a person of truth. He Forget, he was... How many things could we list about Abraham Avinu? Says the, the answer, Umatsata et levavo ne'eman lefanecha. You know what we found? You know why Hashem chose Abraham? Because he had this beautiful midah called Ne'eman. He was trustworthy. He was loyal. Abraham would never take a picture of someone on a date. <laughs> Abraham would never say, you know who's going out? Abraham would never do that. He would never say something about another person unless he had permission. He was loyal, trustworthy. Hashem says, that guy, that's the guy I want. Because every other quality, I don't know, it seems that it won't cut it. That's the quality. And by the way, it's no, no surprise. You know what Hashem's signature is? Emet. We say before Shema, El Melech, we describe God as the king who is Ne'eman. God is Ne'eman. He is trustworthy. So therefore, we must have also the Midah of Ne'emanut. Moshe Rabbeinu, when Hashem tells Aharon and Miriam about the great man who is their brother, who they didn't realize how great he is. So how does Hashem describe the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu? What's he going to say about him? They knew he was great, but they just didn't know how great. Hashem tells him, you see this man, Moshe, your brother? Bechol beti, in all of my home, ne'eman hu. He is a ne'eman. He is someone who's more ne'eman than anybody else. That is the word amen, by the way. Amen is el melech ne'eman. Is it a surprise to you that every Jewish home that's built, when we bless that home, we give them a special blessing and we ask them or we pray for them or we remind them that they, in order to succeed, need to build a bayit ne'eman. What is a bayit ne'eman? A house that's trustworthy. It's a house that people don't talk about each other. It's a house that's loyal to each other and to others outside. That's the foundation of a great person, of a great marriage, a person who keeps their word, a person who promises and does. This is the foundation of a great marriage and a great person. Let's review what we learned today. We learned today that there are boundaries in life and these boundaries are 
a very critical element of our success in the physical world. We learned today that when we are not trustworthy to the people around us, we have crossed a boundary. When we cross that boundary, we're certainly hurting others. But maybe more relevant to us is that we're hurting ourselves. Every time you reveal something and it seems so juicy, who knows what salvation was waiting at the door that you never saw. Imagine Esther Malka going after 120 to Shemayim. And Hashem says, so tell me, Queen Esther, how was your stay in this world? And she would say, Queen Esther? What was so special about Queen Esther? So what do you mean? The salvation of the Jewish people. It was all you. I know what you're talking about. What salvation? And they would go back to the videotape and they would show how Ahashverosh was convincing her to say the secret. And she gave in. Oh, they say, oh, you did that? Oh, that was a bad move. Bad mistake. You told Ahashverosh, oh, you spoke about your friend? Oh, you told them they're on a date? Ah, you told them where they, where they, bad move. You lost that salvation. Something very good was right there. You lost it. Watch what you say. And the biggest lesson perhaps of all is that when we're not trustworthy to ourselves and to others, then we can't trust others. And most importantly, we can't trust Hashem. We can't have a real emunah when we're not in iman. So this is one of the boundaries that Torah gives us. Be careful. It's so hard to do in today's world. But it's so valuable to train our mouths to be private and not to expose. This is just the last thing I want to tell you is that that's the first question they tell you in Shemayim. Gemara says in Masechet Shabbat, after 120, there's a certain, they give a certain questionnaire with a certain test where you fill out the questions. They ask you certain important questions about your life. The first question they ask you is, Nasata venatata ve'emuna. Were you a faithful person? Were you trustworthy? Were you an ne'eman? Did you keep your word? That is the first question. Perhaps the answer to that question will reveal everything else. Because that's the foundation of the great person. Whether it's Abraham, whether it's Moshe, whether it's Rahel, whether it's Binyamin, whether it's Esther, and all the great people. Torah is telling us something. The great people reached all that greatness through their ne'emanut. We should all have clarity and strength to be able to control what we say and will earn all the blessings. Amen. 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 Amen.